This morning we talk, we're going to talk about something that is close to my heart, food. I, I love food, all right, just, I will be straight up. Um, a good meal is one of my favorite things in the world, and interestingly enough, food is a major topic in the book of Romans, um, because food was actually a major division point um, for the Church of Rome. And that's not uncommon today, although ours, I think, are much more petty because we talk about our, our favorite this or our favorite that and we're appalled that somebody doesn't like something that you think is the most delicious thing in the entire world, right? Um, but food, food was, was a divisive conversation among the Church of Rome. Because sharing a meal was a common practice in the early church. They called them agape meals, or sometimes it's translated as love feasts. And this was basically their primary gathering. They didn't have Sunday morning services like this. And if you're thinking that would be awesome, you're not alone, right? But this, this shared meal, this sitting down together, this uh, enjoying food, it was a powerful and significant way to gather. It was kind of around the, the communion table a bit. Because when they heard the commandment of Jesus to go and do this in remembrance of me, the blood as wine and the bread as his body wasn't the only part that they heard and walked away with. They, talk, they took the entire meal and kind of practice that as their primary form of gathering and worship. And last week, Kevin mentioned that an estimated 70% of Paul's listeners at, when he's writing this letter live at the subsistence level, so just barely enough to get by. And so if you will, imagine with me a Roman slave who would have fit into this category. She's rarely given food more, or at least rarely given more than enough food just to live, right? Just to sustain life. And as a result, she's barely tasted meat because meat is expensive, right? And she's told about Jesus and she's intrigued and she's invited to one of these agape meals. A meal where everyone participated equally, the rich and the poor sitting at the same table or lounging around in the same room. Slaves and free all took part in the meal together as equals under Christ. Roman society obviously hadn't changed. That would have never happened in the real world. But at agape meals, followers of Jesus rehearsed what was to come. They rehearsed the meal, a meal of generosity, of equality among Jesus' followers. They shared their resources with the most vulnerable. And the slaves were given meat, probably for the first time in their life. And they were given a place. Imagine what it would have felt like to be her in this moment. For the first time to enjoy a meal with company that values you. 
Then imagine a devout Jew who was taken to following Jesus. The same meal would have been a moral conundrum for him. See, many Jews living outside of Israel would have eaten just strictly vegetarian. The problem wasn't with eating meat, although pork was always avoided and other animals that were viewed as unclean, but it was very difficult to get meat that hadn't been sacrificed to idols. Right? Temples of the many faiths that existed at the time, including actually the Jewish temple, functioned not just as a place of worship, but also as your local butcher. So that's where you would go to get your meat. So as a devout Jew, someone who refused and felt that it was central to your identity to avoid meat that had been sacrificed to other animals, you'd have a hard time finding meat in Rome. And so you would come to the same meal where this meat is being served and you would have a sense of a pall because doesn't everybody know that Jesus was Jewish? <laughs> that he didn't eat meat sacrificed to other idols? And the same agape meal that would have been so, such a life-giving gift and blessing to a Roman slave would have been seen as a threat to integrity for both the individual and the community for a Jew who's trying to follow Jesus. And this isn't culinary preference. This isn't our own argument around food, right? This isn't asking someone to get over their dislike of tomatoes or something, right? This food and the shared meal, it impacts the very identity of the early Christian community. And it's such a big deal that Paul actually devotes two entire chapters of it in the book of Romans. And you could actually argue that the entire book is leading up to chapters 14 and 15, where Paul addresses this specific topic. The entire letter is written in hopes of reunification of the Roman church so that they can live out the good news of Jesus in their city and beyond. Paul argues from the beginning, Paul's argument from the beginning has been that we are in no position to pass judgment on each other, right? We are all under the power of sin, as we read in Romans 3, 22 to 23. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all under the power of sin. But at the same time, we're all under the covering of grace. If we continue reading in Romans 3, verse 24, and all are justified justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is a beautiful paradox that we hold on to, that we are both sinners and we're justified by grace. It's identity that removes us from the judgment seat. 
We can't judge others for sinning because we are sinners. And we can't judge others even though we're removed from sin because we're only removed by the grace of Jesus who chose not to judge. Paul unpacks this idea further when we reach chapter 14. Starting at verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling, quarreling over disputable matters. One's person faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. If we have our identity in Jesus, if we recognize Jesus as Lord of ourselves and of others in our community, then we have no place to put ourselves over someone else's servant. If you look back at Paul's very, the opening words of this letter, it's genius because you see Paul coming back to this. Paul, a servant or a slave, depending on the translation, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, a slave of Jesus Christ. From the beginning of the letter, Paul is taking us on a journey of identity. He's removing himself out of other people's judgment because if he's a slave or a servant to Jesus and Jesus alone, then nobody else has power over him. And in this position of him saying he's accountable to Jesus, he invites the Roman church to do the same, to enter into this. Paul invites us to deny the world classifications and divisions and submit ourselves and our community to the lordship of Jesus. These, the divisions of, of rich and poor, of weak in faith, of strong in faith, of slave and free, these weren't divisions that all of a sudden appeared in the church because of the church's existence, right? These divisions were worldly and they made their way into the church. They created tension in the church, a tension that bared a striking resemblance to the divisions of the empire outside of it. But if the church community is going to be different, they have to return to a place where Jesus is Lord. A place where even though we disagree, even though we come from different classes, even though you're rich, I'm poor, even though we disagree, we can share a meal. We can love each other because we recognize Jesus is Lord. And in our time together, we do a dress rehearsal of the kingdom. Paul continues in Romans 14, verse 7. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. 
So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. If we belong to Jesus, if he is Lord, then we live as if we have been incorporated into this story. We live as if we belong to the household of Jesus and are eating together Our life together, our very lives, bear witness to the kingdom of God. Throughout the book of Romans, and actually throughout all of Paul's letters, he insists that the household of Jesus is to be a community that lives differently, that looks differently, that functions differently, that is a community based in love. Last week, Kevin walked us through this idea of shalom, the lasting peace, the resurrection here now and to come. But the resurrection in the here and now is the call to become instruments of justice. This different way of being, this life is radically, this life is radically different than the life of the world. It operates out of different economics, out of different lordship. See, the household of Caesar or the empire, it imposes division or demands assimilation. The separation of the rich and the poor and the dominion of one over another is its marker. But the household of Jesus embraces diversity of opinion. It invites people to follow along alongside people who are different than us, who think differently, people who have different convictions, and to do so without judgment. Romans 14, verses 5 and 6, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another than another. Another considers each day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. And gives thanks to God. Members of the same household, the household of Jesus, can have freedom to practice different diets. They can have freedom to practice different calendars. They can have different convictions about how their faith is to be lived out, as long as they do so in honor of the Lord and in thanksgiving. And this isn't just tolerance, right? It's not just putting up with something and allowing them to exist off in the corner of our gatherings. It goes beyond that. It's over-acceptance of someone who thinks differently than you, and it's personal sacrifice on our own part to be in community with people who think different than us. Romans 14, starting at verse 13, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another, Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. 
I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. If we remember, justice and righteousness are the same word in the Greek. And for whatever reason, they've chosen to always translate it as righteousness. But it's fun when you reread 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't be a community that abandons, we should not only be a community that abandons fighting about things that are disputable. But the people of strength and privilege in our community who have every reason and freedom to eat certain things and celebrate a different calendar should refrain from doing so if it causes harm to other members of the community. The onus is put on those who have the freedom to eat everything to accommodate those who have a certain approach to their diet. That is to say, those who are described as weak are to be given priority in the community. When I read this, I can't help but think of our current situation. You know, because I actually think as horrible as COVID-19 has been, it has forced us to think in this way. It's forced us to think about the weakest in our midst. Because for many of us, this virus is simply a nuisance, right? It's similar to the common cold, but for others, it could be deadly. And so we wear masks. We socially distance. We wash and disinfect religiously. And not for many of us because we're worried about our own well-being, but because we care about the weakest among us and put their needs above our own. You know, there's this, shouldn't go on Facebook anymore, it's exhausting, but there's this, these outcries of anti-maskers, right? But this is a thought and you can be wherever you want. I hate them. Like the fact that I have to wear this thing drives me just bananas, right? But I am so convicted that the thought of anti-maskers is one that's based entirely in empire thinking. It's based in selfishness. It places my personal rights and freedoms above the well-being of others. Of course, I wish we lived in a world where, we wouldn't, where the government didn't have to legislate mask wearing. That would be beautiful. But unfortunately, the selfishness of people, the selfishness of us, kind of made it necessary. Wouldn't it have been awesome if they're like, there's this disease going around and masks might help? And everybody was just like, all right. 
And I'm sure you've heard it said that the people who are going mask-free, they're living by faith, trusting God to keep them safe. And this just reeks of fatalism to me, which is something Jesus rejected in his, his own temptations. According to Paul, our rights and our freedoms come well after the well-being of others. And in particular, the well-being of the weakest among us. As followers of Christ, we're followed to his lead, to do what he did. And I love uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of Romans, the beginning of 15. Sidebar, actually. If you're trying to read through Romans and you're finding it difficult, Eugene does a good job of kind of making it a bit more accessible. It's not an academic translation, but it does offer some really interesting uh, images to kind of to walk through. But let me read to you uh, just the beginning of Romans chapter 15. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. And not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled, is the way scripture puts it. The kingdom of God is a matter of justice, of peace, and of joy. And that justice is preferential towards the weakest and poorest members of our community, or should be. Paul is clear that the onus lies on those who have the most power, the most status, the most authority, the most freedom. The community of Jesus is to be oriented towards the needs of its weakest members. Kevin noted last week, quickly, but the, the lie of personal salvation that, that plagues modern, modern thinking. The problem is that is when we get into this way of thinking that our faith in Jesus is all about ourselves, all about our own saving all about me getting the life after that I feel like I deserve for thinking the right thing actually misses the whole point of what Jesus calls us into. Following Jesus is not about more of ourselves, but actually about emptying ourselves. It's not about my rights, but actually about laying down my rights. It's not about my privilege and importance, but actually saying my privilege important isn't import, as important as yours. And then the community just enters into this beautiful, circular giving that overflows outside of itself and into the community around it. You never thought that food could be so destructive. And I don't think most of us would argue about food in this kind of way and think about it as super divisive in our community, but there are any number of theological things. And actually, 
The temptation would be to list some of the ones that are there, but so much of these, our breaking point and our willingness to be with other people who are trying to follow Jesus is very personal, actually. Because we all have our thing that we just can't stand about other people's thinking. For myself, I have trouble hanging out with Calvinists. Straight up for you. Because I struggle with that way of thinking. I don't understand. But if someone has a different way of thinking, and they are attempting to follow Jesus in that thinking, I need to get over it, make room in my own life, in my community. Just like everybody else makes room for me and my crazy thoughts, right? This is what we're called to do. Let's just close in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you. Uh, thank you for the, your family. Thank you for including us, for making room at the table. I pray that uh, we would just be a, a people who, who consider others, who are willing to lay down ourselves, to lay down our power for the sake of others. I pray that we wouldn't be caught up in our own selfishness. Help us to be a people of love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.